When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hey, podcast listeners, if you would like to support the show and be rewarded, head over to patreon.com slash Gilbert Gottfried. For just a small amount each month, you, the listener, can get some colossal benefits. Get access to new podcast episodes before anyone else. Join me on exclusive video hangouts. Get a shout-out from me on Twitter. I will even read your advertisement speech or manifesto on the show. Go to patreon.com slash Gilbert Gottfried. That's Patreon. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Gilbert Gottfried. Thank you for listening and support the show for the love of God. This is Gilbert Gottfried, Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre, and we have a new subscriber, and his name is either Michael Arney or Michael Arney. I don't know which one he was, but he wants me to call him a miserable son of a bitch. <laughs> so, whether it's Arney or Arney... Uh, Michael, you are a miserable son of a bitch. What an honor. <laughs> I, I get that honor every week, and I don't even have yeah. to pay for it. So if you, if you guys, <laughs> poor Michael, if you guys want a similar shout-out on the show or you'd like us to say something flattering, go to patreon.com, patreon, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com, slash Gilbert Gottfried. And you can get the same kind of respectful treatment. And now I have to go to the doctor because I've just been diagnosed with Arni. Arnay. Arnie. Or Arnie. Or it's Arnie. I had Arnie. That was a football injury. <laughs> I had, uh, I still, when it rains, I really feel it. Uh, I Because I once hurt myself. So I still have Arnie. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. <laughs> Thanks In for, France, thanks it's for called Arnay. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, 
Hi, this is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santopadre, and our guest today is a writer and producer, the creator of hit shows like Community and Rick and Morty, and the star of one of the most popular podcasts on the internet, the funny and talented Dan Harmon. Woo! All right. That's an intro. Yeah. No, that's an obituary. (laughs) (laughs) See, I want my guests to feel like they're dead and buried. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. Um, Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, Thank you for doing my show in New York, by the way. People who uh, are fans of yours will, if they if they wanted to listen to my podcast, they should definitely listen to the episode where you guest co-hosted in New York. Yes, that that was a wild time. Yeah, you were you were fantastic. And and I remember. Okay, I'm proud to say I know very little about Dungeons and Dragons. (laughs) It makes me feel cool. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't know about that game. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, yeah. I guess you should feel cool to not know about it. You, yeah. you, you handled it as most people do. You kind of sat there and said, "I have no idea what's going on." <laughs> and I remember we were lucky enough uh, where we brought up a blind guy. Uh, yeah. On stage. Yeah. There was a that blind was guy. And a uh, and a black gay guy. That's right. And uh, yeah, we pitted them against each other. <laughs> How do your guests normally react, Dan, to you uh, suddenly playing Dungeons and Dragons in the middle of the uh, of the show? Oh, they the react. Show. They're actually quite quite addicted to it. I mean, it's uh, because the, you know Spencer, our dungeon master, he's been part of the show. He was. He, he sort of represents the audience in a lot of ways because he came up out of the audience. I asked one night, is there a dungeon master in the audience? And he raised his hand, and he's been a part of the show ever since. Now, uh, aside from people who have never gotten laid in their lives, I would imagine that people who like Dungeons & Dragons, there must be a lot of like like autistic and people with Asperger's syndrome. It kind of strikes me as one of those. Yeah, I would, I would, I would say so. Yeah, I, 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 I think that's a healthy guess. Um, uh, I think, I think my show's audience probably has a disproportionate amount of people on the spectrum in the audience. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I get that impression. I, I feel a little spectrumy myself, you know, I'm a, more of a verbal thinker and kind of like not that intimately emotionally connected by default with people. Um, but I'm very, very emotionally affected by them, if that makes any sense. Like oh, it's, yeah. it's very easy for me to just talk into a microphone to a bunch of strangers and reveal very personal things about myself than it is for me to actually just recognize when when I'm being mean to somebody face to face, you know, and, and be sensitive to their needs in the moment. Yeah, I I think Sarah Silverman said you would say stuff to her that would depress her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but she was your biggest fan. She was right. your biggest her, fan and liked you and fired you. Yes, yes, yes. She she kind of steals the movie with that line. Like she she makes the makes the trailer for the for the movie about me with that line. I'm his biggest fan, and I fired him. 
Now, I think of all the things you've done, what you're probably best known for is shoving a Sharpie in your (laughs) asshole while you were jerking off. Yeah, I think I think that's hopefully that's tombstone worthy because I think it's I think it's what I've contributed. (laughs) Could you can you explain to me in detail how this came about? Well, I, I, it, it started with me, like it started with my friend Rob Schraub telling me when we were when we were still pretty young. He said, "You know, uh, you, you know about stimulating the prostate, right? Like, the, you know, if a girl rubs the area between the thing and the thing, you know, while you're orgasming, like it'll be a more intense thing." And I was like, "Oh, that's okay. That's I didn't know that." And then, and then I remember reading reading about that in like a playboy or a penthouse subsequent to that, or somebody wrote in and said, Hey, I was, I was having sex and my girlfriend rubbed me in that area while, and, and the orgasm was crazy. What is that? And the person responded with, well, she's stimulating your, your prostate. And some people do it internally. Um, and, and I was like, Oh, so that's the same. So that's why people shove stuff up their butts when they, when they're when they're having sex and stuff like like uh, that that, that kind of makes sense. I wonder if that's like way better. And then I so kind of you know it was a rainy afternoon and I you know I didn't have to be anywhere for a few hours, so I looked around the house for you know it was like I wanted I wanted to play it on the cautious side. It was the really the first thing I stuck up my butt. So. I looked at like you know a regular sharpie pen, you know like the 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 white end of it, like not the cap end, but the yeah, you got to watch out for the cap end. Yeah, the cap end you don't want to got the clip on it. Yeah, that's that could be dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, the like a bat grapple, like it would it would it would hook in there. Um, so I, yeah, I you know I it was a smooth narrow thing <laughs> like a good beginner's butt thing and i i just tried it and uh and i i came and i was like ah that feels good um but now i have a pen up my ass and, <laughs> and now i have to pull it out and you know I, i'm sure you're familiar with the fact that a man's orgasm is followed by a instant like disinterest in sex like you're kind of like so, <laughs> Like the old Kevin Nealon bit. Shit you've done to get there. Like the, 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 if you've done something elaborate, like after your orgasm, now you're you're dressed as Batman. You're just, <laughs> and now you're just a regular guy again. You're not like a horn dog. You're just like sitting there with a pen up your ass, and and so I, I guess that's why I never did it again because I was like, well, it's just. You so you you only shoved a sharpie in your asshole once. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And hopefully you threw it away after. Yeah, I, threw, I, threw, I, I, I mean, I put it. I put it in the uh, cup of pens that only I uh, am allowed to use. <laughs> Good decision. Yeah. Now, now, if I and it's funny because I'll be bringing up a a word that is was just used in a podcast of mine yesterday, and that's taint. Yeah. Now, was that the area that yeah. you'd be rubbing? Yeah, yeah. The taint when you're rubbing your taint if you're if you're masturbating. I don't know how gross your podcast gets. I don't know the like Go ahead. 
There's nothing intellectual in this part. <laughs> okay. It's yeah, not I mean, the McNeil Lair report. Here. But you, but you, but you have like. Uh, you, 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 you have like uh, 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 producers from the Jack Benny show on your show and stuff, don't you? Or like, <laughs> yeah, like, some of them. <laughs> but they they can hear, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> so it, you're saying like, then according to your friend, if you're having sex with the girl and the girl is rubbing your taint, mm-hmm. it would be a more intense orgasm. Yeah, in theory. I think, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like like you're 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 pressing on it because I think the muscle underneath there is what's like uh, that's what's spasming when you're orgasming. So I think you're like I think if you if you hold it down, it, it I don't know it, I don't know why that would feel good, but I learned so much on this show. Mm-hmm. You know, we had the same discussion with Sir Ben Kingsley. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, how did you meet your writing partner, Rob Schraub? Fuck that. I want to know about <laughs> rubbing the taint. <laughs> well, it's the same answer. Um, the, uh, I, I, met, I met Rob. Uh, we did comedy sports in Milwaukee. It's an improv franchise, kind of a, a working man's improv Olympic um, it, it, where people come to – come to these short form improv shows that are structured like they're fake athletic events, like two teams competing against each other for comedy points. Um, I used to have something here like that comedy Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a couple variations out of it. Sort of comedy sports is a direct derivation of theater sports, which was started by Keith Johnstone in the, in Canada, I think for those, improv people listening but uh it 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 was you know is the emphasis was not on the art it was on the the comedy and the and the laughs and stuff and so it was very intense short form improv training and it was the only thing like it going on in milwaukee and uh so if you were like a an attention hog and uh interested in the creative uh field uh, you kind of gravitated to comedy sports in milwaukee so that's where i met schraub and he, and he was a comic book. He was making his own comic books, wasn't he? Yeah. Shortly after I met him, he had gone to. He had just graduated from art school in Milwaukee and was not really doing anything with his degree. Um, and uh, and then one day he just revealed that that for the previous few months he had been drawing his own comic book on his kitchen table and uh, very cautiously started showing it to people in a three ring binder and. Everyone was really into it, and he uh, partnered up uh, to publish it independently with our friend Peter. And uh, at a certain point, uh, it was it was published as a comic book, and then it found its way into the hands of uh, Oliver Stone's production company, mm-hmm. and they optioned the film rights to it for like ten grand or something. And we, you know, it was 1993 or so in Milwaukee, and we thought, this is it. We're going to Hollywood to help make this movie about our comic book. <laughs> then we got out here, and, you know, it turns out that's not quite how the business works, but, it, 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 you know, it got us out here. Now, uh, one person I've worked with and I've met a few times over the years, and I can use that classic cliche, well, he was always nice to me, and that's Chevy Chase. Because <laughs> he was always nice to me. Yeah. I never had anything bad to say about him, but uh, obviously you didn't feel the same way. 
Well, I mean, it, yes and no. I mean, I think there was a lot of, sadly, there was a lot of the same blood in our veins. I mean, Chevy and I, are, I think we would both admit we're kind of narcissistic. And, uh, I mean, I, I had created this show. He was a huge star uh, acting in it. And, um, you know, it, it he and I b- both kind of like, I don't know, we take our shit really seriously. Like, ch- 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 And I, I wanted to make it work that way. I was like, go ahead and take take your part on the screen super seriously. Let me inform the character with that, you know, that angst and that darkness. Um, uh, because I think that could be a really cool character. I think if you watch, if you're a community fan and you watch like season one and two of community and you can see, I think, I think Chevy's at his height in playing that character in the dungeons and dragons episode of community where he's like, he's a villain, um, he, the, the heroic part of him is the, as a, as a, as an actor is the part of him that doesn't want to say die. It doesn't want to go gentle into that good night. And I, I, I guess, you know, like, uh, we, we got along as much as, as much as we could. I worked with him longer than anybody's ever worked with him. Um, I, and, and, and I, and, and he created a great character on the show that we loved a lot. The, the feud that got so well publicized was just a result of pretty typical razzing between us. Like it just somehow kind of went viral. Well, it not somehow it went viral because like a dipshit, I, I played a voicemail that he left me into a microphone <laughs> and someone, someone in the audience was recording it and they put it on the internet. So it was, it was pretty fun to listen to. So, um, it went viral. I, I, I didn't, if, if I had, if I could go back in time, I definitely wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't play that voicemail into the mic. But at the time it was like, you could cry out into the darkness. Ah, Chevy Chase is a dick. I don't like working with him and he hates me. And like, no one cared. No one was listening. It was just like something you would share with 50 people in a, in a cabaret theater. Oh, but... I know. Th- I know that feeling. <laughs> exactly. <You> I... could... <laughs> <laughs> it used to be you could just crack a joke and it was a joke and the world kept spinning. Now. It's... Yeah. Yeah. The medium was different. You know, it, 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 if you were in a stand-up club, then it was, it was, it was understood that you were performing for 80 to a hundred people there. And, you know, something, you know, your thoughts about nine 11 were not meant to represent the planets, uh, zeitgeist about it. We're not meant to be consumed in the cold light of day on good morning America. Um, and we've, we've exited that time. It worries me a little bit because I do think that there's an importance to, to context in particular the dark cloisters smoky clubs where people can be vile and explore the crevices of 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 their thoughts you know and not if 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 we all have to speak to each other as if we're speaking to the planet it's, things are going to get real boring real fast and and i think the public a lot of the public still wants something that's going to shock and offend them and they they kind of enjoy it. It's a thrill knowing that that could happen. Well, of course, yeah. I mean, it. it we love. We you know we we've we're human beings. We're primates. We're 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 like weird animals that are half god, half 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 uh, monster. And we like we 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 are terrified that we're going to get kicked out of the species. 
So we try to button up and, and, but we are fascinated with the idea that the guy next to us might make a mistake or, you know, what he might have to say. And our heroes and our villains are both people who, you know, say shit they're not supposed to say. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we could segue into the Cosby thing now if you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we were going to ask you a, a, a Cosby-related question. Because- oh, and can I, can I uh, interject here, too? Cosby is another one on that list of, well, he was always nice to me. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I yeah, I am, I am, I am, I am. I think that says it all. <laughs> but one, one of your Channel 101 shows... Uh, Dan was uh, was House of Cosby's, right? Yes, it was. And, yes, and then and uh, which people can find on the internet, and it's very very funny. And uh, what happened to it? It was short uh, short lived. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, Cosby's lawyers uh, sent a cease and desist uh, to Channel One Hundred One, and we weren't making any money off of it, but they they sent a cease and desist to us, and then we we kind of ignored that because it was like, well, this isn't this isn't how society works this isn't like we're allowed to put a cartoon on the internet based on your fame you know um and then their lawyers contacted the internet provider and threatened to shut them down for letting us have a website on their internet service that was in their mind interfering with bill cosby's right to sell his own likeness and stuff and that's the argument against well, like that's that's that's, I, that's the that's the other side of this of the parody argument when you're doing stuff like that um is like if my parody of gilbert Gottfried is me just doing his act and sounding like him then 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 gilbert you know it's like well that's not parody you're like you're calling yourself gilbert Gottfried and you're like doing my act um but uh, i don't th- that's obviously not what we were doing with cosby but they the internet provider kowtowed to it. It was a bummer at the time because um, uh, it was like the creator, Justin Roiland, really did it out of love. He loved Bill Cosby. You don't do that kind of thing without being fascinated with somebody and doing it. So, But we did have to take it down at a certain point. But you can find it uh, with a cursory Googling. That That's one uh, gets me about the internet is like everyone will get shocked and offended and they go, okay, we've taken that down. Taking it down means it'll take you another minute to find it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, and they call, I think that's what they call the Streisand effect now um, in internet culture is that actually the, the attempt to mitigate access to the content creates big road flares leading to it now. Um, the story becomes the story becomes the story. And that gets back to people wanting stuff that they shouldn't hear. Once you tell them, oh, you're not supposed to hear this, then they want to hear it. Right, of course. And it's crazy the, dis- the, the disparity between the things that we allow to exist inside our heads and the things that we allow to exist inside other people's heads. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's really – it's kind of admirable and kind of sad and often, often angering and sometimes uplifting. Just like the weird standard we hold ourselves and each other to. And it's, it's, it's so clearly out of just loneliness. We're just so scared that we're going to make each other mad or get kicked out of the tribe. And we're, we need to give ourselves so much more credit as a species than we give ourselves. I mean we have terrible, dark, horrible – thoughts and not sharing them and not not talking about them is history shows is the sure surefire way to reach horrible behavior 
Well, it's like funny. I worked recently with Charlie Sheen, and he's a famous character that the knee-jerk reaction, you have to say, oh, I condemn him. Right. He's awful. He, and then you go, and I think every single guy is going, wow, he parties and gets laid. And they really want to admire it, but they're scared. Right. Well, you want to you want to know for sure. I mean, with with we, we we adopt celebrities as like these tarot cards, these archetypes. So you go, you know, well, this person is the promiscuous person. This person is the drug user. This person is the we, we have a lot of these roles that we reserve for people. And we tragically, even though, you know, they give us release and fantasy we want to punish them for that. Otherwise we feel like, um, we shouldn't be with our wife. You know, we, 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 we feel dishonest about being, uh, uh normal people. Because, uh, so we want, we want the people that we initially reward for their debauchery to then be punished for it. And it's a little sad. It's it kind of, it's a crucifixion that plays out over and over again with these tabloid celebrities. You know, we, we pump them up and, and we fill their heads and we, we, we put them up on our shoulders essentially and we drag them up to Golgotha and we nail them to a cross um, and watch them bleed to death and spit on them. And, and, and you know everyone gets to pretend at any given time because it was all this big Ouija board, this big collective movement. Nobody in particular like dragged Charlie Sheen up, up that hill by themselves. We all get to like hang back and participate in the whole cycle with just a pinky finger. Um, and you know, I've been, I've been on that side of it, the business side of that, of course, with the Chevy thing, it was like, I suddenly became overnight, it was like way more famous than a writer should ever be. And for way different reasons than a writer should ever be known as like having people tweet, tweet me just because they read my name in a TMZ article and just like getting their shit out of, off of their chest. It was, I, I'm not complaining about any of this. I'm not entitled to anything, but I'm just saying emotionally, the experience is like when you see it from from the barrel end. It's like wow, we are fucked up to each other. Like we really, and I think it's it's all it's all because it's when we cease to see each other as people. Like when we become symbolic, and people think that celebrities are they're like the moon. You know, you could throw a rock at it as hard as you want because it's impossible to hit it. But you know, what if you found out the moon was like <laughs> kind of sitting up there going ow 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 ow. Well, in, in Chevy's case, was it was it just a matter, Dan, of of, of onset uh, razzing, or was I mean, I was reading your your uh, your AMA on Reddit. The, the, supposedly, he he refused to do certain things. He refused to do a tag. Yeah, he didn't do a. There was a there was a bit. It was like it was it was magnified his his refusing to do it. Like he he'd walked off set before. He he gets tired. He gets cranky. He leaves. Whatever. He was a he was a three amigo. He can he can get tired and cranky. Um, but um, it was the end of the season, and I was at dinner with my parents who were out of from out of town. And uh, and I got a text message that he had walked off this last thing, this very last thing that he needed to shoot to wrap up the season before all of the sets got torn down and put into storage. Um, so there was never going to be a chance to pick it up or fix it or anything like that. And I, I did get, I got a little upset. Uh, and, um, but I did what I always do with my anger, which is I try to turn it into entertainment for other people. So at the rap party, <laughs> at the rap party, you know, which is a, a celebration of people that work really hard on the show, who suffer all year long, and I made a joke out of it, and I said, you know, 
this is the rap party. I'm your boss. You can't get fired if you if you say fuck you, Chevy, right now. And everyone said fuck you, Chevy, um, because he's, he's a little bit of a pill on the set, you know. And and I and I and that you know he he heard that and he left and uh, and then I I think I exacerbated it because he was like I was still mad at him, so he was like texting me, you know, telling me. You know, that was that was fucked up in front of my wife and kids. And I was like, you know, your kids are 40. And um, (laughs) (laughs) and and, like, I, I, you know, I I was still I was I I think if looking back on it, I could have been a bigger man. And like, you know, I could have said at that point, okay, well, it really made me upset that you walked off the set for that one thing. So let's let, now let's reset and hope we get a fourth season and et cetera. But I, I, I was, I was a passive aggressive dick. I was like not responding to his texts and kind of like torturing him a little bit that way. Uh-huh. And, and it's, it's funny when you were talking before, cause I've certainly have been in front of the barrel of the gun a few times. Yeah. Yeah. You're, I mean, yeah, the, uh, the, the aristocrats documentary, yeah, like shows, and the tsunami, <laughs> fired and and it's like all these people like I feel like people once they get outraged and offended they feel good about themselves right it's weird that is really a weird trait we have uh, I understand outrage but like when you when you're when you feel like it's you're, if you're if what you're doing is easy if 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 you risk nothing by condemning someone that doesn't mean you shouldn't condemn them but but it definitely means you you don't have to be proud of yourself for doing it it's like like oh you know that guy that guy said that horrible thing and i i disapprove it's like well that's not heroic to it, disapprove I, of I that thing that anyone felt- like when it was going on with me, like, uh, are you uh, flying to Japan and helping with the rescue effort, or are you just getting mad at a joke? Right. Yeah, it's uh, if you're if what you're saying or doing, you know, if you just run it through this acid test of like, is it? Do I risk anything by saying or doing what I'm about to say or do? Um, if the answer is no, I absolutely risk nothing by saying or doing this thing. It might still be okay to say or do it. It's just, but you know, try to remember, (laughs) like, like it's a good dose of perspective to have. Like I'm not doing anything risky at all. So maybe I don't need to take such a high road about it. I could lend my voice to like, you know, crowds love to boo somebody. Oh, yes. You know, you go like somebody says something inappropriate and you go boo, boo, boo. Okay, that's a healthy function of society. But you're just – that's the same as applause. I mean it's just – it's just a fun group activity and your part in it is not heroic by any means. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And, and now another thing that I guess you're very famous for is fucking a blow-up doll. <laughs> <laughs> Same question for Ben Kingsley. <laughs> uh, it was a, it's a real doll. It's a, it was so it a, wasn't a cheap blow-up one. No, God, no. no. What am I, some kind of creep? <laughs> <laughs> so this is one of those real advanced... I've seen photos of those advanced ones Yeah, that look like you're actually fucking, uh, well, a dead girl. Are <laughs> we talking about, like, the one in the Ryan Gosling movie? And the Lars and the Real Girl? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're fully articulated uh yeah, me- me- terminator skeletons with uh silicon like like skin over them uh, like like it's a whole deal. And they wow. feel like real skin and everything. Uh, they feel more like real skin than a balloon or uh... <laughs> <laughs> I do, it's not a it's definitely not I mean my thought was I was in my early 20s and I was like you know what I keep having these relationships I they keep failing I keep I keep thinking I'm in love and then hurting people I keep getting hurt by other people like maybe this is a modern <laughs> convenience for people like me like like maybe maybe all I want is just like you know this creature comfort, and I can if I can take myself off the marketplace. Maybe that's actually a responsibility I should I should do instead of like going out every six months and going, okay, I'm lonely again. So I love you, I love you, I love you. Um, now, <laughs> but, now, how much did this cost you? This dude, they were like at the like time. You when don't I know, got, Gilbert. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, like, I'm still using the cheap blow up ones. They are the price of a uh, of a Segway. They're the price. They're like uh, six or seven grand. Um, wow! Yeah, and they come to your house in a crate. <laughs> it's incredible. Now, does, when they deliver this giant crate, do all of your neighbors know what's in this crate? Pretty much. <laughs> I I I hope not. I I, I I allowed myself to think that wasn't the case back then, but. Then again, back then I was probably thinking because before you click submit on the on the order form for this thing, <laughs> I, I think you have to go to a place of self acceptance. <laughs> kind of like the sharpie. Yeah, you're kind of like you know what I'm. I'm clicking this button because I have had it, um, and so I it's guess it's kind of like right before you pull the trigger against your skull. Yeah, and yeah. Then I guess, yeah, I guess if my neighbors, if I thought my neighbors knew that there was a rubber woman in the crate that was being hauled up to my apartment, I would have, I would have, I guess at that time I was in a state of mind where I was like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is what you've done to me. <laughs> so, so you pretty much were at that level where you said, uh yeah, everybody, I'm I'm fucking something made out of rubber. <laughs> yeah, like, be nicer to me at the laundromat if you want. <laughs> now, did this, with you so much. And this had only uh, same openings. Uh, 
Yes. It's limited to the to the number of openings. Uh, well, it had you... a, a mouth, obviously, yeah. with teeth. Yeah, that it's, you had well, to be they're, careful they're like of. they're like rubber teeth. <laughs> soft rubber teeth. Yeah, they're soft. Oh, that, teeth. that's an improvement over a real girl. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I, and and obviously a vagina. Yep. And and it had an anus, I imagine. It had a little butt, a little tuchus. Now, now, did you ever fuck this rubber tuchus? I I tried the tuchus. I mean, <laughs> I mean it's there. Like yeah. it's it's not Mount Everest. Uh, I, I it was you know I yeah I I was. It was like actually this may be this may be the right time to try the tuchus before I take it on the road, you know. Um, it's, they're all, it's all the same. I mean, the the the, the tuchus being a smaller rubber hole than the <laughs> than the vagina hole on this thing. It's just, so basically, you didn't really know notice a difference between the rubber vagina or rubber asshole. Well, it was smaller. The butt was smaller. Oh, okay. So it was a yeah. tighter. It was more realistic. I well, I I mean, I I, I I've only I've only tried anal sex once in real life, um, and I guess I guess relative to the human body, it's the same thing. It's like a smaller hole. That's the idea. <laughs> I mean, it's that's basically the. <laughs> That's for sale there, right? I mean. (laughs) So I like the idea that so so much science was put (laughs) into this doll where they said, well, the rubber asshole will have to be tighter. Yeah, yeah. Because that's the way an asshole feels. Dan, I hate to change the topic. Wait, wait, this is very important. (laughs) He's going to be talking about this on 60 Minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Going back to your childhood in Milwaukee and before you hooked up with Rob, I'm, this is something I'm curious, and it didn't turn up in my research. Was was there any point that you knew you wanted to be a writer, that you wanted to be in comedy? Did, was there were there shows you watched that you sparked to something that inspired you to know this was this was going to be your life? Oh yeah, I, I knew I wanted to be a writer since I was old enough to, you know, even talk. Yeah, I I I, I always always wanted to. Uh, to uh, write little stories and show them to people, and that's that's what I did. That's what I got praised for, and that's I never really had any other phase. I never was like, oh, I'm going to be an astronaut. Um, I just always wanted to write stuff. I, I I wasted a long period of my life thinking that I wanted to just be like Stephen King. You know, like I was going to be a novelist. I was going to write books. I didn't, it never, it didn't occur to me until relatively late in my life that people wrote the movies and TV shows that I, that I loved. I just sort of thought of them as movies and TV shows and thought of myself as someone that wanted to be a writer. What kind of stuff did you watch back then? Uh, I mean, I, I grew up with my parents watching, watching, you know, cheers and I, I, I loved taxi and, Mm -hmm. Um, reruns of uh, the original Bob Newhart show and um, All in the Family and sure. um, the classics. Uh, I also lo- I really loved sci-fi shows. Those don't tend to last as long. I, I, I would love like the NBC shows that would fail after six episodes like Manimal and uh, oh, Misfits Sin- of Simon Science. <laughs> Manimal. Oh, that, that was one of those 
infamous horrible shows. Which one? Yeah. Manimal? Yeah. 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 He was a guy who, I guess he solved crimes by turning into any animal. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and what was the other one you said? Misfits of Science? Misfits of Science. Uh, Whiz Kids. Yeah. 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 Courtney Cox was in that. Right. Yeah. That's I love right. those concept- conceptual shows. I mean, I... When I was a kid, The Incredible Hulk won an Emmy for Best Dramatic Series. I mean, we were living a, a great time back then. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I was – so I was – you know, Knight Rider was one of my favorites. I was like, this is the perfect show. Um, but uh, so the comedy just kind of came as a result of, like, going where the heat was, you know? Like, people like to laugh. There's a big demand for it. So it's a better place to cut your teeth. I mean, it's harder to – without a classical education, I think blow people's minds with your drama than it is to just like be funny and uh, get better at being funny. I was doing stand up from an early age and just, just anything I could do to get attention and get rewarded for it. So uh, speak, speaking of Knight Rider, we have to ask you about heat vision and Jack, which I asked you backstage the night we, uh, the night we met at the, at the Y, which is a little bit, and correct me if I'm wrong, a little bit of Knight Rider meets the $6 million man. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, Ben Stiller saw a lot of Six Million Dollar Man in it, so he brought that to it. I mean, there's also a lot of elements of Star Trek, the original series, in it, it but definitely primarily um, Buck Rogers and Knight Rider, most of all. Buck Rogers in the 25th century. That was another yeah. one. Now, Joel, and now, in Buck Rogers, was Mel Blanc I the voice of the robot? He was. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I believe he was. That's yeah, it. Very yes, good. yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was, oh, and who's the? I forget her name. I met her recently. Erin Gray. What was it? Erin Gray. Yes, from, yes. Uh, she was really hot back yeah, then. Yeah, I worked with her. So, <laughs> she was really hot back then. And I heard uh, she had a rubber anus. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it was a tight rubber anus. Well, Heat, um, Heat Vision and Jack was one of those shows that that uh, I told you when I met you, Dan. That that uh, Beth Lapidus used to show it in L.A. Yeah, at at Uncabaret, and it just became this this cult thing that that everybody had to see. Yeah, it was amazing the extent to which back then it's it's so hard to even for me, let alone for I'm sure young people to grasp the idea that before a certain point in the internet's evolution, if you had a TV pilot and it didn't get picked up, you, you just you that was the end of the story. Like you didn't know if it was good or bad or if anyone ever liked it. Like, and Beth Lapidus back then in LA was, she was one of the only people that was making it possible for people in LA to show their surplus work, you know, and get now, some back on it. Now, were you telling me that story that you had a copy? They did a pilot. You had a copy of it. And you were in your Los Angeles apartment by yourself? Yes. Yes. And tell us what you were doing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I tried to fit the tape up my butt, but it worked. I I mean, when I describe this to people, I I am as amazed by it as, as... as anyone listening, like I, I just report the facts. I don't know what I was thinking, but this is the emotional state I was in. I had a VHS copy of Heat Vision and Jack. I had just found out it wasn't Fox wasn't going to turn it into a TV show, and I remember taking the VHS tape over to my next door neighbor's apartment door. And this was a young lady who I never spoke to. I'd never spoken to her. 
Um, I had only ever heard her boyfriend like come to her door because the walls were so thin. He would come to her door and he always did this gag where he'd knock on her door and she'd say, who is it? And he'd say, it's the milkman of human kindness. Um, that, that's the extent, <laughs> oh, that's the only extent I knew them. There were just these, these voices. Um, and I, and I, and I walked over to that door with this VHS tape and knocked on the door and this, you know, those peepholes that are like little windows, little doors. Oh, the, yes. The door. yes. So he, he opened that thing up and like, I could, so I could see his little, his little eyes and he, he, he peered out and he said, yes. And I said, Hey, um, is the uh, the young lady that lives here uh, here? <laughs> and and he said, uh, "Why?" And, and I said, "Um, I'm I'm the neighbor, and I uh, I made this TV pilot, and uh, they didn't pick it up, but I was just wondering if she wanted to watch it." Or <laughs> and he he turns t- turns his face away from the people to to an off screen person and says, "Do you want to watch a pilot?" <laughs> hilarious <laughs> and you just hear this murmuring like no why no it's like no thanks buddy no and i'm like okay all right thank you what what <laughs> massive douche chills do you get every time you think of that story Dude, i i can't i mean i can't even it's beyond douche chills like i <laughs> i don't even know what it's just like, like watching an alien species like what was i and then the idea that I would ever make fun of anyone, uh, you know, ever for anything is like a preposterous to me. But I still managed to do it. It was a smart show. We, we should point out to our listeners who aren't familiar with it is that it was Jack Black was the star. And the, the motorcycle was voiced by Owen Wilson. And my favorite part was that Ron Silver played the bad guy named Ron Silver. Yeah, he but he was actually playing himself. Like right. in, in in the show, he's an actor who is also an astronaut, <laughs> who's pursuing Jack Black. Yeah. So, in other words, if you made it, you too would accost your neighbors uh, with it at, at the at their door. What was the, what was the reason that Fox gave you guys at the time for not going forward with it? I, I know it was. I heard it was expensive to do. Yeah, they said they said they felt it was more of a sketch than a show. They couldn't see the longevity of it. Um, I, you know, I, I, we had, we had anticipated that and given them a hundred, uh, log lines for future episodes, but I guess they didn't believe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, uh, I mean, I think they looked at it as like, you know, in the tradition of sledgehammer or naked gun kind of like, I think they saw the, they, they saw a shelf life in it because it was, in their view, it was mocking TV, making commentary on TV, and not actually just doing what TV is supposed to do, which is give the nice poor people a reason not to burn down the White House. You know, it's, it's a, <laughs> I saw like, that, I saw it at Beth's show with with Lookwell with Robert Smigel and Conan's pilot, which you could put, yeah, put yeah. in the same category, a show that was making fun of TV. Yeah, but it's like the thing is now that's all TV, and I don't think that I think that Lookwell and um, it, 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 th- these shows were like, you know, it's not like we were making fun of TV because we wanted you to stop watching it. It's we're, we're making fun of TV because we were, we had grown up on it. Right. And so it's like, it, like, like it was affection. Yeah. Ancient, ancient Greek myths are all making fun of ancient Greek myths. I mean, they're all, they're all a bunch of people running around going like, I know how this is going to go. I'm an ancient Greek person. Um, and, and, and then the Oracle is like, yeah, but you can't, 
you can't get out of being an ancient Greek character just because you 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 know that a guy with one red shoe is going to kill you. Um, and, no, I'm going to kill all the people with one red shoe, and then you do that, and then a guy with blood on his shoe says, "You killed my mother," and kills you. It it it, it it's all commentary. It's all meta, you know. It, it but but I think back then it was just sort of like, well, if you're making fun of TV, then you're not making TV. It was a smart show. I wish it had. Uh, and there was talk. There was talk about doing it as a feature, reviving it. Um, yeah, there's always been talk of doing it as a feature. Now doing it as an animated show. They've been trying to do for a while. I think. I think its only hope would be. I think it could be a nice companion to maybe like Eagle Heart on Adult Swim. I really like Eagle Heart. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that the, the guys that make Eagle Heart, who 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 I know, like like that. That's the that's the modern incarnation of that sensibility. Is like. Yeah, this show still tells stories, and it's it's winking at the camera, but it you know it's, these are archetypes, and there's you're still being told a story, and it's a it, it commits to the genre that it's in. I could see like doing a live action version of Heat Vision on Adult Swim. Mm-hmm. You know, when you were saying about keeping poor people from burning down the White House, <laughs> do you find I find this a lot in TV shows and movies? They the message is don't want something that sounds better than yes. what you have. Correct. Don't experiment with change. Like if, uh, like rich people made a mistake being rich, you'll be miserable. Guys that get laid a lot are pathetic. Right. It's it's mostly about mitigating ambition. It's it's and I don't think it's necessarily I, I don't really believe in conspiracies to the point where I don't think there's a room full of guys with cigars going like make sure the show's about this it has this effect on people i think what it is is that capitalism by its nature if you make tv for money then that means that you have to use the same set week to week and if you and it means that the the actors are under contract and it so if you make a, a star wars tv show then they can't blow up the death star at the end of the pilot they have to just talk about how much they want to blow up the Death Star for the rest of the TV's uh, TV, TV show's length. So it's about reducing overhead. So typically, in in the stories that that we watch on TV, the characters have to they have to be reset at the end of the story. So the stories end up being about futility. They end up being about people going. I wish that I worked at a chocolate factory instead of a greeting card company. Well, guess what? He's going to find out that he shouldn't have ever wished that. So it has that nice effect of like telling poor people like, you know what? We're all in the same boat. Like life is hard. Keep your head down. Go show up to work the next morning. Isn't Rob Schneider funny? Just Stop complaining and get back to work. <laughs> what, what was that Nicolas Cage movie that gets on my nerves? I think The Married Man. Uh, uh, which one? Uh, uh, with him and... Uh, Tay Leone? Uh, yes, The one that's yes. kind of like a... So there he meets like a black genie. Oh, uh, right, yeah. It's like Don Cheadle. Right, right. And, and he goes from being this rich playboy in a luxurious apartment building to having a broken down uh, house in Jersey and he works in a tire store <laughs> and, and he finds out at the end that being rich and fucking a lot of models is a bad thing. <laughs> and it's a good thing to live in Jersey and work in a tire store. <laughs> 
Well, don't you think? I mean, I kind of, I, I, I think you could get pretty, pretty sick pretty fast of, uh, of, of, of a lot of the things that we're told are are supposed to fulfill you. I mean, like how much floor space do you need and how, how, how attractive is, is a sexual partner going to stay if, if, if you don't love them? I don't know. I guess I'm on the side of that sappiness. Like I, I, I believe that I think that in those shows that like that we're talking about where they train you not to aspire to too much, I think they're keeping you on a treadmill and they want you to think that if you stay on the treadmill, you're going to get rich. And that's why when people riot in cities and they're setting fire to shit, like we, we, there's this streak in us that tends to side with the people in the tanks and the riot gear. And it's like it, it, because we have this sense in us that's like, well, don't rock the boat. Like, like the, you're being unfair by complaining. Like we can't all have everything. But And then the unspoken part of that is I'm going to be rich one day. I'm going to be rich, not these other poor slobs next to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe in this system. I'm going to get rewarded for this with my scratch off ticket or my retirement plan. Like I'm going to, I'm going to have, I'm going to have supermodels sucking my dick six different directions, and it's going to, it's all <laughs> uh, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen, and I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be made happy by by all of these things I'm going to attain, and and I'll sell out the poor person next to me in order to get there. And I'll, I have these rich people's back because they're playing. I believe in this system because I'm going to be rich. Um, and it's, I, I sympathize with that because it's like, who wants to live in a world where we all just throw up our hands and go, "Yeah, there's so many of us. There's not enough food. Uh, line up. Here's a piece of bread." Now, of of stuff you've done that maybe if you went back in time you shouldn't have. Uh, you called Steven Spielberg a moron. <laughs> <laughs> So much for the warm and fuzzy side of yeah. of Dan Harmon. Well, I was I was talking to a little kid, you know. And, <laughs> yeah, you were right. Just to just to clarify, you were writing a letter to to the daughter of a friend. Yeah, she she was scared of the movie I, I wrote called Monster House, and she. She she didn't she didn't like the movie. She th- it was it was scary to her, and there were things that didn't make any sense about it. And I, in my letter back to her, which I didn't think was going to be on the internet, I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I ground some axes that, that that we all feel free to grind in our in our in our apartments, but not so much on the internet. Yeah, calling Steven Spielberg a moron. I don't think gets you a hit in the business. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm doing fine. Okay. <laughs> you mentioned uh, Adult Swim, uh, Dan, so we have to talk a little bit about Rick and Morty. Right. Which is just Gilbert and I were just watching uh, an episode. Uh, it's, it's the episode where Morty asks Rick to uh, basically help him get laid. And right. He, and he gives him the, uh, what is it? It's like a, a pheromone of voles who made that for, made turns for life. turns people into praying mantises. It turns, it's really elaborate. I mean, we were watching it and then just, you know, for an animated show, the levels of it. And they wind up burying their own dead bodies. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, it, yeah. It, it just, it turns surreal on so many levels. It's, a, it's such an ambitious show. Yeah, it's. I'm very proud of it. It's. Uh, it's something else. I wish we could make more than ten a year. I mean, it's. It's. Uh, it's. It's. Hard. It takes a long time to to, to make animation. I, w- I wish we could churn those things out. I'd love to just do that show. And you and Justin created that, and it was. It was. If I have my my facts right, it was based on a on a webisode. Uh, yeah, it was kind of based on these characters that Justin would do to blow off steam that were sort of. Uh, 
bastardizations of of Doc and Marty from from Back to the Future. Um, kind of his punk rock way of saying like I don't know, just blowing off a lot of steam. Justin was working in animation for other people at the time and didn't and he felt kind of constrained and he just wanted to I think as as the character says in Fight Club he wanted to to destroy something beautiful and uh so he so he you know he made these characters that just talk about licking each other's balls and just kind of it's all very it's very 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 juvenile very liberating you know um and so when Adult Swim was expressing interest in working with me I I you know I called Justin and said what do you what are you most excited about? And he said, I love doing these characters. And I said, Well, let's figure out how to how to make that into a show then and let's do that. And 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 we did. I'm very, very proud of it. It's like, it turned out to be a great show. And and you, I guess, have a lot of like neuroses and depression and whatnot. Do you think that made you more creative? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, I think honesty is the important thing. I think if you're super confident and healthy and love your kids and have no problems internally, um, uh, and you're honest about it, I think that, that people will want to hear from you because we'll be fascinated that that person exists. But I think that in lieu of that, if you know, you should be honest about what you're afraid of and what, what makes you sad and what, 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 you know, what makes you feel petty and triumphant and victorious and, so yeah, you know, you don't you don't have to. I don't, young people always want to know, like, oh, do I need to drink? Do I need to go to a dark place? Do I need to hate people? Do I? No, I don't think you need to do anything bad. I don't think you need to think or be anything other than what you are. But the important thing is you need to have transparency. I think. Now, I think what a lot of people are wondering right now is, did you ever shove a sharpie? Up your sex doll's asshole. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I mean, I, I uh, that would. People are wondering that. Uh. <laughs> speaking of, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to make a transition out of that now. Speaking, speaking of penetration of the literary community. Just talking about the psychological process, or what we were talking about a moment a moment before, and 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 I've heard you say that that Harmontown, that the podcast happened. Do I have this right? Because you didn't want to go to therapy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I want to. I feel like I well, I have thoughts that rattle around in my head, and they cause damage up there if I don't get them out. And I don't. When I've gone to therapy in the past, it's like you're sharing these thoughts with somebody who's being paid to be an agent of compromise. I mean, if you have a problem with the way society works. And, and you're like behaving irrationally because of your problem with society. A therapist is never going to tell you, "Oh, you better go out and fix society." Then that they're going to tell you, "Well, here's what you need to do to calm the fuck down." Um, whereas if you tell an audience that you're pissed um, about about the way the world is run and you wish it was run differently, they they will either sit there quietly and nod their heads, or they'll laugh, or they'll boo. They'll they'll engage you in some way, and in either case, you'll be heard, and it'll be over with. It'll be out there in the world instead of bouncing around your skull. And I, I always found that very therapeutic. I've since come to appreciate the merits of a professional <laughs> mental health person, like listening to you, because mm-hmm. the good ones can then take that stuff and go, okay, um, good, good. Thank you for sharing that with me. Now let's talk about like you know how you can. I don't know, kind of structure your life and your behavior so that you're not putting yourself in situations where you're getting upset. And, and what was the catalyst? I mean, was, do, do I have the information right? Was that the catalyst for creating the podcast? Was it, was it being let go at Community? Uh, no, I was fired from Community 
after I created the podcast. Oh, okay. The, the, the impetus for creating the podcast, which, you know, not to overcomplicate and make it boring, but the podcast wasn't really a podcast until like the Chevy voicemail leaked because it was at that point that I was like, well, if people are going to record the show, which I thought was sort of confidential, um, if they're going to broadcast this on the Internet when I say stuff, then I want them to hear the whole insufferable two hours of me babbling, you know. So I before that, it was just me talking in the back of a comic book store. Um so, and the reason I started doing that is because I was starting to get really stressed out by the third season of Community, and I was feeling like, you know, I I need a I need a place to be able to talk about my anxieties. So the therapy you received on stage was much more useful than professional therapists to you. Um, I mean, it, at the time it was yes. At the time, absolutely. I, I I probably tried like nine therapists up until that point, and none of them worked um, the way that just talking into a microphone did. Recently, and I think the key is it, because she's a couples therapist, so it's it's easier to go into somebody's office and say, "I want to be happy with my girlfriend. I want to be happy with my wife." than it is to say, I want to be sane. Um, one thing is achievable and practical and one, the other one is not, you know? Um, and so I think like, like, like couples therapy, like go, like going in to talk to somebody about my relationship with my partner, that opened me up to the fact that people who become psychologists, they're not, they're not necessarily agents of compromise. They, they're, they might be actually like kind of on your side and your side alone. And um, you, although you're very honest with your podcast, tell us about the one time you went back and actually wanted to edit out. Well, I mean, in the yeah, in the documentary Harmontown, you can see this. Like, I we when we were on tour, I did a show in Nashville, and uh, I got so drunk on moonshine <laughs> on stage, and I it was to me it was insulting to the audience how drunk I got. Like I'm always drunk on stage when I do the podcast. It's sort of part of the gimmick, but I, I, there's, there's, I guess there's gradations, you know. Like I, I think that a little bit of lubricant lowering my inhibitions and making me able to be honest and forthcoming, it's, it's a good thing. Um, but I'm not John Belushi, so like it's not – <laughs> It's not to me. It's not like worth the ticket price to watch me be unconscious. You know, I, I felt like I was like running around stage, just like slurring into a microphone. I guess the line for me is when I start slurring, like, I, like because if 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 I can't speak uh, and, and finish complete sentences, then I'm like I'm wasting the audience's time and my mind a little bit. What, what happened? Somebody in the audience just handed you like a mayonnaise jar filled with homemade booze. <laughs> We yeah, were, somebody, we were watching. Gil and I were watching the doc. Yeah, <laughs> I thought, what the hell is that? <laughs> You're just going to drink it. Yeah, it's a, somebody. It's a, yeah, this is moonshine. I mean, it had a, it had a, it had a barcode on it. It was oh, okay, it was, <laughs> it was legitimate. It wasn't from a bathtub. So that made it safe. <laughs> it has a barcode. Then drink it. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. It's tough. To, I've, and I, I had moonshine again at a show in. I can't even remember what city it was, but. I again like it's it, the the thing with moonshine is it's so potent that you you drink a little bit and you don't there's too much there's a little bit of delay between you know 
it fully affecting you and you determining whether or not you should take another sip. And uh, if you take two sips, that's twice as much. And and the, it, it's it's twice. It's it's just I don't know. It fucks you up. I meant to ask you this that night, Dan, when when you did the show with Gilbert at the Y. Is the entire show improvised? I mean, are there, do you do you do like a bullet point thing, like a curb your enthusiasm episode? No, not at all. No, I, just I don't. fly by the seat of your pants for definitely, for yeah. Because I think you gotta you gotta be open to things happening. So, like Gilbert said, like you know, like we, you know, all of a sudden we got a blind guy up on stage and a and a. And a and a gay black guy, and it's like, did what if we had bullet points for some other topic that we had wanted to discuss? We'd be asking the blind guy about uh, <laughs> you know, Texaco or something. Like, what, what are, you, are, are you blind to what's going on in the Middle East right now? Or you know, it's like you want to you want to dig into that guy and ask him ask him blind questions. You don't want to you don't want to you don't want to have shit on your to do list. It'll be distracting. Well, as I recall, between the blind guy and the black gay guy, there was a there was a you took a woman out of the audience who was maybe she'd had a little too much to drink and she wasn't quite playing right. She wasn't quite play, playing by the rules, which I guess you have to do sometimes. You have to dispatch people. I can't remember. Yeah, specifically. Every, I, I think that, you know, and, you know, if she's listening, I don't want her to be shamed. But I think that if, w- the only problem I've ever had with people or the only thing I the only reason I've ever said to somebody like, OK, well, that's enough of you. You can sit down now. It was when those people openly admit when they come up on stage that they had no reason to come up on stage other than, other than wanting to be up on stage. So they come up and they go like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm up here. I'm up here. I'm up here. And it's like, okay, all right. Well, then you're done, right? You're up here. You're up here. You don't want to talk about anything other than being up here. Like, I, that's why I like to say things like, well, who's in pain right now? You know, because <laughs> then you have to be honest about it and go like, well, I, I'm not going to – I'm afraid my pain won't be as as much pain as the, somebody next to me, so I better I better bring my A game. It's kind of like those people who call up radio shows just so they can hear their voice on the radio. Yeah, and it's, there's surprisingly little of that at the Harmontown shows. I mean, I think that there's a longstanding um, culture in stand-up. Like, like I mean. Gilbert, you come from a world where it's it's eat or be eaten up there. Like you have a microphone, you come out and you have to have an incredibly tight set, and you have to you have to exercise control over an audience that's like, if things start to loosen up too much, they might storm the stage and like take over the show, and it might be a disaster. I, 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 I it took me a while to realize that. If 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 what's for sale when the when you buy the ticket isn't necessarily that, then people will behave themselves a little bit, and the things can be loose. Like, there's not a lot of people that come to the shows and just go, "Oh, I hear that there's no control here, so I'm going to come here and make an ass of myself." Like most people just show up loving it, like, and they they're really respectful, and it's kind of cool. We were watching the doc. Dan, and there's a moment where you, you say you want, it, you want it written on your tombstone, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember your exact wording, that, that, that you reached people, that you actually made contact. Yeah. Could you talk about that a little bit? Because it's kind of inspiring. I mean, well, most, most writers are, are, are shut-ins, and, and here you are going out and hugging your fans in the lobby and, and you know, really meeting the people. Well, I think it comes back full circle to that Asperger's thing. I mean, I don't know that I have anything diagnosable, but I know that I know that I spend a, a lot of my life like kind of not understanding people and feeling like I don't really 
like 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 that that no matter how hard I tried, I don't think there's like there's a certain amount of feeling from other people that I wouldn't be able to get. So I think a lot of writers like they shut themselves into a cabin and they blow their brains out because they 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 just they're they're like regular people plus genius and they feel too much and they can't stand how stupid everybody is and they they eventually just go okay my knee hurts i'm going to kill myself but uh i i i i you know i i have some of those elements but above and beyond everything else it's like i just you know i just don't get people and I, if i can if i can spend a little bit of time like feeling a little bit normal um, which is how the show makes me feel. It's like, makes me feel like maybe the version of me that maybe would have been popular in high school or, or had a, had a, had a skill that other people could appreciate. Like, I don't know. It's, it's unique enough to me that I, that I, I'm able to reach out for it. It's just, it's just like, I don't know if you could, if you had less nerve endings in your hands, you might touch people more. It wouldn't make you a more sensitive person. It's just like, you'd be like, what do you feel like? I don't know. Well, all right. We have been talking to the man best known for, <laughs> for spending $7,000 on a blow-up doll. And he fucked it in its mouth God. that had rubber teeth that wouldn't scrape his dick. And a rubber pussy. And a rubber asshole that scientifically was made tighter to feel... Like, we're talking to the man who fucked a rubber girl in her rubber asshole and shoved, he shoved a Sharpie in his own asshole uh, while jerking off. This does not go on the tombstone. Yeah, like the other no, place. well, it'll have to be a bigger tombstone. Okay. I will pay for your tombstone to have all this put on it. That's not what... <laughs> I, 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 uh, yeah, I, I wish you were there at the signing of the Declaration of Independence. I, I love this journalism. <laughs> yeah, this is yellow journalism at its best. <laughs> so, we've been, we've been talking to a man who's done all these things and more. Before, before we run off, Dad, <laughs> anything you want to plug? A new season of Community. Yeah, it's coming out of Yahoo. Like I, I think February third. I think I have that date right. Just keep keep watching the skies for a Yahoo version of Community season six. And Rick, and I'm reading that Rick and Morty might become a comic book. Uh, yeah, I think that's in the works. Yep. And a book of essays. Uh, yep, I signed a, a book deal to write some funny essays about about putting stuff in my butt. Well, you're busy. Yes. Yep. You can call Steven Spielberg anything and, you want. And and to wrap up <laughs> further. Uh, you and your friend believe if a girl pounds you in the area between your prostate and dick <laughs> that you'll have a better orgasm. That's correct. Me so, and my friend. Yes. The man who knows all this and more. <laughs> <laughs> the, the great Dan Harmon. Thank who, you, sir. Who has, in fact, fucked a rubber girl in the ass. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for doing Thank it, Dan. Thank you we so appreciate much, it. Dan. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Dan Hart. Bye-bye. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleichinger, Slicing, I've been friends with her for 10 years. 
one of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash waitforitcomedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore because it's here and it's funny and I love you. A few days ago, Brooke Tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and three comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.